0: Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. What's up, Milestone Church? How's everybody doing today? Who's glad to be in church? Come on, let me, let me see your hands if you're glad to be in church. Wave at me, clap, do something. Awesome. A big welcome to the McKinney campus and uh, also those that are watching online and our 1230 service. Hey, how about if we all put our hands together? Come on McKinney, those that are watching online, 1230. Let's thank God for church today. Can we do that? So good to be in church. Love this church. Of course, I've heard about you for years, Milestone Church. Met your your, uh, amazing pastor just a couple years ago, a new friend uh, to me, Pastor Jeff and Brandy, and they're amazing family. I know you know this already, but you're led well, great pastor, great team here. And uh, yeah, we should, we should thank God for them for sure. And uh, never take for granted that you're a part of a great church and uh, get to be a part of that and watch God move. And the church is growing and thriving. And I, I love that. I, I bring you a, a greeting and a welcome from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, we started our church about 21 years ago. Before that, we were missionaries in Kenya for three years. My wife and I uh, Leslie and I will celebrate next uh, month our 28th wedding anniversary, 28 years married. How about it? Come on, show me a little love, 28 years. Married to one woman, come on, thank God for that. And we were actually uh, high school sweethearts. We, we were in kindergarten together, Leslie and I were in kindergarten together, same elementary. We didn't date when we were in kindergarten, but we, we were in kindergarten together, grew up together, same neighborhood. Our parents lived just a few blocks from each other there in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You guys know that all roads lead through Baton Rouge, Louisiana, right? You do know that, down in Baton Rouge. and So we were missionaries for a couple of years, three years, and then we started our church 21 years ago, the Life Church in Memphis. And I think we got a pic of my family. We've got two uh, beautiful kids. Our daughter Anna's 20 in college. Our son is uh, gonna be 17 next year. Um, Next month, pray for me, he's gonna be 17 next month. Pray for me, he's gonna be 17 next month. (laughs) Pray for me, he's going into his junior year of high school and uh, Mark, our son Mark. And then Lucky and Pepper, our two puppies, round out the Sibling family. So hello from our family to yours. It's an honor for me to be here. I want you to grab your Bibles, turn over to the book of Romans. I wanna talk about something real special to me this weekend, real important to me. I wanna talk about passion having a passion for the things of God. Romans 12, 11 would be a life verse for me and for our church as well. The apostle Paul, of course, wrote the book to the church in Rome and a great passage, uh, all of chapter 12, fantastic. One of my favorite uh, chapters in the New Testament. But this verse seems to be the hinge of the chapter. And he says, never be lacking in zeal. Everybody see it? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. The word fervor here is where we get our word fever, and it means hot, literally hot. Stay hot for God. (laughs) Stay on fire. Keep the inner fires burning. Stay passionate for the things of God. The word never is an important word. It literally means not in any time. So there's, there's no reason, no excuse, not at any time should you be lacking in some spiritual intensity, some passion, some inner fire. If you notice in your Bible, there's not a little asterisk next to the word never with some fine print at the bottom of the page, you know, except on Mondays, except uh, on April 15th, except, you know, when you're facing a tough season. The truth is, at any point in our life, we should be intense and passionate And full of fire for the things of God. The word passion, it's an interesting word actually. It it originated from a, a description to describe what Jesus experienced the hours and the days leading up to his crucifixion. In other words, what Jesus experienced was so intense, so overwhelming, so powerful. They didn't even have a word to describe it. So they created a word, passion. Why we call it the Passion Week, or the passion of, uh, of Christ. We, we, we talk about passion, and it comes from that, from that particular week. And Jesus himself didn't just experience passion at the end of his life, but he was a man of passion. He was a man who lived a passionate life. How many of you know? Uh, The Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. So if he was a man of passion, then we need to be people of passion. I think sometimes we need to stir ourselves up a little bit because passion leaks and we can get going in life as believers, as Christians and face challenges and walk through difficult things and we we can see our passion level decreasing. So I'm here to stir you up a little bit, to think about where you are, where passion is concerned. Think about the life of Jesus. I love when you study the Gospels, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They each give a different perspective, a slightly different perspective on the life of Jesus, and they each have a different story about Jesus that illustrates his passion. So I just kind of want to bring you through, just thread through the, the, the Gospels just for a minute, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and show you a verse or two from each of the Gospels that describe the passion of Jesus. Let's start with Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, that famous verse, it's a great verse where Jesus is doing a little people watching with his disciples. Anybody like to people watch? You know, your wife is shopping, you just sit down at the mall and just watch people. You get to your gate early and you just sit there and it's amazing watching people. You can get caught up in people watching. How many of you know there's all sorts of different people out there in this world? So here's Jesus with his disciples doing a little people watching. And he sees the crowds and he, he, he comments and, and, and mentions to his disciples that people are harassed and helpless like, like sheep with, without, without a shepherd. And the Bible says he was deeply moved with compassion I love that, Matthew 9, 36. He was moved with compassion. Of course, the root of the word compassion is the word passion. And compassion is different than pity. It's different than feeling sorry for somebody. Compassion moves you. You're moved to action when you have compassion. So Matthew paints this picture of compassionate Jesus. Jesus had compassion for people. And then Mark's story, I think, is an interesting one. Jesus is in church on Sunday, he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's a man there that has a shriveled hand, a man that was in need of healing. But if you study the religious uh, law of of that day, they were forbidden to heal on the Sabbath. How crazy is that? That's what religion will do, it will create barriers uh, rather than bridges to people. And so here's a man that was in need, but they couldn't meet his need because it was Sunday. How crazy is that? And Jesus wanted to minister to this man, but he felt that resistance. And so, so, so Mark, Mark paints this picture after looking around at them, the religious leaders, listen to this, after looking around at them with anger, this is Jesus, grieved, At the hardness and arrogance of their hearts he went ahead and healed that man but not before his own heart was grieved and he was angry some of us some of us might be surprised to know that jesus got angry And the bible actually says you can become angry uh, just don't sin in your anger but some of us need to get a little angry sometimes at some of the injustices and some of the challenges and some of the things that we're seeing in our culture and in our society, and certainly Jesus is our example. And then Luke paints this picture of when the disciples returned from a ministry trip, and he had sent them out to perform miracles and to meet needs, and so they came back to report to him all of the things that they had seen, and they were basically telling Jesus, what you said was true, and we prayed for people, and and we cast demons out of people, and Jesus was so overjoyed with with uh, these reports, it says in Luke chapter ten, verse twenty-one. At that, Jesus rejoiced. Listen to this word: exuberant in the Holy Spirit. He was he was excited. He was full of joy. Come on, they were high fiving and celebrating all that had happened on that on that ministry on that ministry trip. And then. John's story I think is maybe the most unique and it's maybe the I think the chart topper story because it illustrates the passion that Jesus had more than any other story and it's the story of Jesus cleansing the temple everybody know that story he walks in and he sees all the money changers and and he's just overwhelmed frustrated if you want to say it that way. Couldn't believe what he was seeing. And, and so John paints this picture to those who, who sold doves. He said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written zeal. How many of you know the disciples? Probably a little shocked, like what? Never seen Jesus like this before. He's turning tables over and then they remember, Ah, oh, yeah, the Bible says it's written, scripture says, zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus, Jesus not only experienced passion the the days leading up to his crucifixion, his resurrection, but he was a man of passion. And uh, come on, how many of you know the Bible says he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And if he's down on the inside of us, you and me need to have a little passion as well. We need to have a little zeal in our hearts as well. Christianity was never meant to be tamed. It's always meant to have this wildfire sense about it, this passion. When you study scripture, there's three big areas where we are to express passion, we're to be passionate. The first one is we're to love God with passion. To love passionately. You know, Jesus said the number one commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love one translation says, one translation says, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. So we love passionately. And then number two, the second big area, we are to serve passionately. One of the things I love about this church and our church and many of the great churches is this sense of serving, the teams that are serving to make church happen. Come on, you drive on the parking lot and there's people serving and you walk in and there's people serving and uh, you check your kids in, in, into the kids area. Thank God for those that are serving our kids today. Come on, changing the diapers of your children. That's a big deal, man, that's passion, yeah. Come on, how about we all thank God for all those that are serving our our kids and the worship team. Who knows what time people got to church this morning to turn on the air conditioning and thank God for that and turn on the lights and the worship teams practicing all to make the house of God great. But there's this sense of, of serving and every great church has teams of people that serve with passion. And I always tell our church, we need you to serve. If you're not serving on a team, join up, get involved. Because we need you and the, 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 the myth sometimes when we come into churches like this and we look around and we say, well, wow, they got everything together. They don't need me. And the truth is we're just faking it. We're acting like we got it all together. Except in the kids' area, we do have it all together in the kids' area. No, the truth is we do need you to grow and to continue to expand and add services and campuses and all the other things that we're called to do. Serve passionately. To serve passionately. And then the third one, and I want to go a little deeper, a little further on this one. The Bible teaches not only are we to love passionately and to serve with passion, but we are to worship with passion. To worship with passion. And I want to talk about this one a little bit more because I think there's sometimes some misconceptions about worship and the importance of our worship. And let me just... Clarify. when I talk about worship, I'm talking about the first 20 minutes of our service when we sing and when we clap and when we, we worship God. Of course, the whole service could be called a worship service, but I'm literally talking about that part of the service and that part of our life when we express ourselves passionately worshiping God. And I think there's a lot of people that don't understand the importance of it. That's why I like to teach on it, to find out what does God's word say? Because it's one thing for me to say it, but it's another thing for God's word to say it. It's one thing for me to have an opinion about it, but it's another thing to find out what is the opinion of God's word? What does God's word say about it? Because I've had well-meaning people over the years. We've pastored our church for 21 years. I've had well-meaning people come and say, pastor, I love this church. I love your teaching, but the worship is just a little, a little intense. And if you could just tone it down just a little bit, I could get so many more people into church and I know their heart and I know what they, they mean when they say it. But the truth is God's word teaches that we are to worship him with passion and with enthusiasm, not necessarily because we think it's important, but it's because God's word says it's important. A couple of years ago, I was with some friends that I serve with on a board board of directors, we started an organization about 15 years ago called the Association of Related Churches, called ARC. This church is a part. And we literally plant churches around the world. One of the most um, strategic things you can do in terms of reaching new people is to start a new church. So in 15 years, we've started just over 700 churches in the United States. And uh, yeah, doing amazing too. All these churches, I think the... The success rate is like 99%. So these churches are still going and growing and thriving and reaching people well. The, the great joy is to serve together with my closest friends who are pastor in great churches around the country. And so we get together at least once a year, have a board meeting, and we always take time just to share ideas and strategy. And we always take a, a, a few hours and just swap sermon series ideas. And so I know Pastor Jeff seems like he's an amazing uh, original, but he's, he's stealing messages from other great pastors. No, I'm just kidding. Sort of. We, we all do this, okay? We exchange ideas and we get ideas from each other. And, and so one of my friends was talking about an article he had just read. He's gonna, he was about to start a series based on an article he just read about the fastest growing churches in the United States. And this study had been done in... And uh, this person was describing um, the five distinctives that set these churches apart. So Milestone Church would be one of those churches growing rapidly. There's increase, there's excitement, there's, you know, the church is thriving and healthy. And so I don't want to talk about all five of the distinctives, but one of them is important because it's, it's an illustration of why we're talking about this. One of the reasons these churches are growing so significantly is because there's freedom In praise and worship. It's one of the distinctives. It was a freedom in praise and worship. So we need to talk about it. We need to understand it. We need to realize it's a value in scripture and it's a value of this church. So here's what I want to do. I just want to talk about the three whys, why we worship the way we worship. And in the middle of one of those whys, we're going to talk about how, how we should worship. Okay, so here's the first one. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Why do we worship passionately? Because because God God commands us to do it. He asks for our worship. And I'm sure if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you realize that it really isn't up for debate. Um, Any part of God's word where God is asking us to do something, it's not for you and I to sit down and negotiate with God. It's really just for us to be obedient. And sometimes the things that God asks us to do are uncomfortable. They're awkward. They're difficult. And we like to be comfortable. I know I like to be comfortable. Anybody else like to be comfortable? I want to be comfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. But oftentimes God pulls us out of our comfort zone. And it is the case with worship. In fact, the Bible talks about it in the book of Hebrews. It calls it a sacrifice of praise. Why would it be a sacrifice of praise? Because you're sacrificing something to give God the praise that he deserves, and often you're sacrificing what's comfortable to you. So there's a whole book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, that is devoted to worship. It's 150 chapters long, and it is literally chapter after chapter of God asking us, literally commanding us, demanding our worship. Of course, we're free will people, so we have the choice. And when we choose to worship with passion, God is pleased with us. In fact, the last chapter of that book, the book of Psalms, by the way, psalm means song, and most of these were songs that were, you know, we're, we're, sung in, in, in ancient times in Israel, Psalm 150. Let's, let's, let's look at this one. Just a couple of verses closing out the, the book. Praise the Lord. Verse one, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in, in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Now it's starting to get loud. Praise Him with the harp and lyre, praise Him with timbrel and dancing, praise Him with the strings and pipe, praise Him with the, all the drummers love this verse, praise praise Him with the clash of cymbals and and resounding cymbals. Now it's getting even louder, resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, and in case you missed it all, praise the Lord. Okay, so the word praise is the Hebrew word halal, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right, it's probably something like ha ha, ha-halal, something. Hebrew sounding. Here's what it means, to shine. To praise the Lord means to shine, hence to make a show, to boast, and thus to be, listen to this, clamorously foolish, to rave, to celebrate. That's what church ought to look like. And so often, so often, um, you know, I, I like to describe it this way, it's so often, you know, church on Sunday morning doesn't look like this, but when you read the Word of God, let me explain it this way: When you read the Word of God, it, it, you know, church kind of ought to look like what a football game looks like on Saturday night. And I know we're in Texas; you guys know a little bit about football in Texas. Like. I guess. You know, high school stadiums here are larger than most college stadiums around the rest of the country. So, you know, football games on a Friday night here, on a Saturday night here, you know, that's really what church ought to look like. It's amazing watching men, you know, act so crazy and foolish on a Saturday night at a football game. And then on Sunday morning, they just get all serious. And all, right, everybody, they get all serious and all buttoned up. And I love, sometimes people say, you know, I don't, I don't like all this modern worship. Well, the truth is, there's nothing really modern about our worship. The way we express ourselves, according to the book of Psalms, has been going on for thousands upon thousands of years. Really, our worship isn't modern, it's ancient, because we're following what Scripture says about how we are to express ourselves to the Lord. So, so let's talk about the how for a moment. P- pull this little bookmark out. It was in your packets, just a little gift for you this weekend to take home, put it in your Bible, remember why we do what we do, how we should do it. And I teach this to our church a couple of times a year because it's so important because this bookmark gives us the how. Everybody say how. how. And these are what I call the six acts of praise that the Bible teaches. So I just thought we'd run through them just real quick and... It kind of breaks the ice a little bit to, to realize, okay, this is why we do this. All right, so let, let's, let's, let's look at them. Sing, here's the first one. First act of praise is to sing. If you've ever wondered, why do we sing in church at the beginning of the, of the, of the service? Well, because the Bible says, sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. Psalm 30, verse four. And I know you feel like, well, I don't really have a good voice and I'm, I don't sing that good. And it, it's really not about how, good you sing. It's about being obedient to the Lord because he loves to hear you sing. You know, the Bible says make a joyful noise, and that's how some of you sound, actually, when you sing. You, you, you're making a joyful noise. It doesn't matter if it's pleasing to the person sitting next to you. It, if you're off tune and, and you, can't, you know, can't sing good, it, listen, the Lord loves it. That's what you need to know, and it's all about him. It's not about you. Do you know our worship very often is a witness to the people that are around us. It's a witness of our love, our devotion, right? All those things. It's a witness to other people. So you gotta get a little comfortable singing and uh, just get out of your, your, your comfort zone, learn the words, learn the songs and sing Uh, sing to the Lord. Okay, so let's all just, uh, let's all do this. Me, 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 me. Everybody, me, 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 me. Come on, McKinney Campus. We can't hear you over here. Come on, give us a little. mm. Everybody, everybody all together. Me, 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 me. Okay, all right, there we go. Here's the next two. And there are two acts of praise in one verse. Psalm 47, verse one. Come, everyone. Come on, somebody say everyone. Yeah. Come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. So the second act of praise is, is clapping. Come on, let's, let's all clap, let's all put our hands together. Come on, everybody. Hey, that sounds good. Hey, when Pastor Jeff is making a great point, you just need to break out in some spontaneous clapping sometimes, right? And, and, and you say, well, why, why? We had somebody come to our church one time and said, boy, you guys are sure a bunch of happy clappers, you know? Like, And uh, I thought, well, that's probably the best you know, compliment that we could receive. But we clap because the Bible says, clap your hands. And then, and then the third one is shout to God. Everybody give me a shout. Come on, let me, hear, let me hear a shout. Awesome. So we shout because the Bible says that we ought to shout. Sometimes in church, I'll just have everybody shout. Let's shout the name Jesus. Come on, everybody, Jesus. Everybody shouts Jesus. And, you know, of course, some people are like, what is going on in here? You know, But it's biblical. Clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. Now, the next one, I won't make everybody demonstrate this one. Praise his name with dancing. Psalm 149, verse three. But sometimes you'll see people jumping in church and you know, just, you know, getting excited. And you're like, wow, that's a little much. Well, it's biblical. It's biblical. Praise his name with dancing. And I'm 51, so I've learned how to I've learned how to move, you know, and look like I'm jumping, but I stay kind of on my feet, stay on the balls of my feet. So let's jump everybody. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's not getting off the ground, my knees, you know, it's uh, anyway, but it's okay to move a little bit in church. It's not against the law. It's not against the rules to have some excitement and have some enthusiasm, have some passion with your worship. Now the next one, I got to say this, the next one For some people, it's just the biggest one. It's like like we've crossed the line. I don't know why this is such a big deal, but for some people, lifting their hands, it's like, man, I'm just a full-blown Pentecostal now because I've, I've lifted my hands in church. It's like such a big deal, but it's not a big deal because the Bible says lift up your hands in the sanctuary. And maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable, but it's good sometimes. I tell our church all the time, I'm not here to make you comfortable. I'm here to make you uncomfortable. I'm here to challenge you to follow scripture and to give God the worship that he deserves. So come on, let's do it all together. Everybody lift your hands, right? This might be the very first time you've ever lifted your hands. Oh my gosh, we're doing it. We're riding a roller coaster. No, everybody lift your hand. Okay, look around, look around. Everybody, look at this, how amazing is this? Everybody is, well, almost everybody is lifting their hands. (laughs) And it's all right. It's all good. I remember the first time I came into a church like this one and what a big deal it was for me. I was, I think 18 years old, 19 years old and I had been raised in a very denominational sort of mainline church. In fact, it was, you know, it was pretty rough. Uh, it was pretty rough to go to church every as a young person, 11, 12 years old, to go to church. In fact, one, I probably was about 12 one Sunday driving home from church with my dad. My mom and my sisters drove separately. They went somewhere. So he, he and I getting in the car and I'm like, Dad, I'm 12 years old. I'm like, Dad, what is the deal? Nobody looks happy to be there. In fact, people look miserable. And the only time we're happy is when we're, you know, loosening our tie, getting in the car, because we're leaving, you know. I could just tell from my dad's body language, man, it's over. I'm relieved, you know, like, and so I, I said, what, 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 why do we do this? Why do we do this? And my dad, I'll never forget it. He said it half joking me, but he was half serious. He looked at me. He said, son, we are God's frozen chosen. <laughs> Don't you forget it. You know, like, you know, I was like, that is true. You know, so I came to a church like this one and man, people were happy. People were drinking coffee. Like you couldn't drink coffee, you know, like only in the back corner of the fellowship hall could you have a cup of coffee. You know, people drinking coffee, happy to be in church, smiling at each other. You know, people are worshiping. And I'm like, so half of me loved it. Half of me was like, this is kind of crazy. You know, this is different. And uh, I held on to the chair in front of me. So tight, my knuckles turned white. Now I call it white knuckle worship. And I watch people do it today. I I literally thought if I let go, I may float up to the rafters. I did not know what was gonna happen to me. And so, you know, I, 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 I kind of went through worship phases. I watch people do this in our church and it's beautiful. I, first thing, first phase, let go of the chair. Didn't float away, okay, I'm good, I'm good. You know, next phase, you know, I closed my eyes. That was radical, man, I was worshiping, I closed my eyes. And then I kind of did this right here. Looking around. No one's watching me. Okay, I'm cool. You know, they've got boldness, courage. I'm like, man, I just went all the way. Like I'm. So, you know, look, it's biblical, all right? We don't need to be worried that we're all of a sudden going to be labeled, all right? If anything, you're going to be labeled as a passionate Christian who loves God, and you are thankful for everything that he's done in your life. Right, everybody? Come on. So the last one, the last one's interesting. I just want to take a moment on this one because I think this is so important. And I think this one can, this one can set the atmosphere in your church service, it, you know, kind of bring it to another level. It says about prayer. This is about prayer. Peter came back, reported some things to the, to the group of disciples. And it says, when they heard this, Acts 424, they raised their voices, Key word right here, together. Everybody say together. This is corporate prayer. Okay, so here's what corporate prayer looks like for the most part in, in church, and our church as well, and I'm always challenging people. I say, we're gonna pray for this you know, situation or this ministry or this team or these needs or whatever, and so I say, come on, let's all pray together, and I start praying, and everybody else does this. I call it closed position. Everybody just closes off. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray mentally, but really, prayer is a verbal thing. It's communicating, articulating your, your needs and your love to God. And I think for most of us, when we bow our heads and close our eyes, uh, here's what we're thinking about. I'm gonna stop by Costco after the service. and <laughs> Do we have milk? Do we have 2%? 2%. What about cheese? Do we have lunch meat for the kids' lunch? This- most people are thinking about other things and uh, maybe halfway listening to the person praying out loud. Truth be told, corporate prayer is when we're praying all together. So it means the person on the stage is leading us, but I'm out in the congregation. Instead of closed position, I'm in open position. I'm up. My countenance is up. I'm looking to the Lord from whence my help cometh. My help comes from him. And and so I'm praying out loud. Yes, Father God, thank you that you're restoring that marriage. Thank you that you're bringing that prodigal daughter home in Jesus' name. Thank you that you're meeting financial needs. Thank you for this city and the community. Whatever it is we're praying for, I'm praying out loud together with the person that's praying. And the truth is it lifts the atmosphere of faith to another level when we all pray out loud together. Okay, all right, right, let me illustrate it. Okay, here's what I want you to do. You gotta participate. I need 100% participation in this. I'm gonna count to three, and when I get to three, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say your name, your first name, last name, your street address, including city, state, and zip code, okay? Now, if you're nervous about the person to your right or left knowing exactly where you live, then make up, I don't think you should be worried, but make up a, Make up an address, okay, if that's somehow uncomfortable to you. But I want you to participate, and we're not just gonna say, we're gonna gonna raise our voices. We're gonna gonna say it out loud, okay? Uh, All together, everybody ready? Do do, do I got, are you gonna do it with me? Everybody gonna do it with me, okay? 100% participation, here we go. Uh, uh, First name, last name, street address, city, state, zip. Here we go, one, two, three. Okay, okay, that's what it should sound like when we pray together in church. That's what it ought to sound like. And I'm amazed, I'm amazed at the people that are uncomfortable praying out loud. I've been a Christian for 18 years and you know, you get called on to pray in your, in your small group and you're like. You're like, there's nine people in the room. Yes, I pointed to you. There's no one behind you. There's a wall behind you. Yes, I'm, point- I'm asking you. It's like, you know, it's no big deal. You just pray out loud. You say, I don't know how to pray out loud when we're praying corporately in service for, 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 for something. I don't know. Then all you need to do is say Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because Jesus is the name above every name and every need has to bow to the name of Jesus. So the six acts of praise. Keep it in your Bible as a reminder why we do what we do and how we ought to do it. And then if somebody comes you bring a friend and they're like, why do, why do you guys worship like this? You're just like. <laughs> I had the same question too, but look, here it is right here. You can, you, you can have mine. You can have mine. So why, why do we worship the way we do? Because God asked for it. But let's look at number two, because of what he's done. We worship because of what God has done in our life. And sometimes it's easy to look at someone and think, man, you know, a little over the top. Somebody's really worshiping, really getting into it. You're like, "Eh, that's a little much. It's a little much. But what you don't know is what God has done in their life. You don't know what God has brought them through. You don't know that they were addicted to drugs and uh, they got sent to prison and God turned their life around in prison. Now they're out of prison. They've got a job. They've got a house. God has restored their family. Hey, I'd worship the same way if that were me. What you don't know is God restored their marriage. What you don't know is God healed their body. What you don't know is that God brought their prodigal daughter back home and God brought restoration in their life. What you don't know (laughs) is God has done something in their life What has He done in your life? Has He forgiven you? Has He brought restoration? Has He renewed your mind? Has He changed your life? Then He deserves the worship that you can give Him. And there's a little story in the Bible that illustrates this because Jesus was having dinner at a Pharisee's house and a woman came and she broke open this jar of perfume. And uh, you know, the Pharisees were like, this is a little much, Jesus. Jesus gave this little rebuke. He said, well, he who has been forgiven much loves much. He who has been forgiven much loves much. And so instead of judging someone else's worship, let's remember what he's done. And let's be thankful for how he's moved in our life and the difference that he's made in our life. Come on, can we put our hands together? Thank God for everything that he has done. Come on. Has he been good to you? Has he been faithful to you? Here's my third one. Here's my third point. Why do we worship? Because worship changes everything. It's true. Worship will change the atmosphere of your life. And I want to finish with this. And I want you to, if you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear what I'm about to say because I'm about to give you a great tool that you can put in your spiritual toolbox. That can make a difference in your life every single day. Everybody look up at me. Worship is an exchange. So here you are with all your problems and all your fears and that challenging situation and that heaviness that you feel in your, in your heart. And here, here is God with his strength, with his life and peace, with all that he wants to do in your life. And when you worship him, the Bible says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. What, what that means is your, your worship is making God bigger in your life. And as you worship him, there's an exchange that takes place. And God takes all your fear and all your worry and all your insecurity, and instead he replaces it with rest, with peace, with strength, with life, and you, you literally, in that moment of worshiping God, exchange all that negative for God's positive, and you, you go out a different person. That's why the Bible says we ought to pray this way. Our Father in heaven, here's how we start. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed, it's not a word that we use often. It means I honor you, God, and I worship you above everything else in my life. And you do that and you watch how God will change, just like that, the atmosphere of your life. Why do we worship with passion? Because God asks us to, because God asks us to. And we follow what he asks us to do. Why do we worship with passion? Because of what he's done. And number three, we worship with passion because worship changes everything. Come on, do you receive that today? You receive the word today, come on. Can we thank God for God's word, everybody? Awesome. Let me pray for us. Would you bow your heads every location, McKinney, those that are watching online, come on, 1230 service. We're gonna all pray together. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus for all that you have done. We thank you for passion. Thank you, Jesus, that you were a man of passion. And as you were, so are we in this world. And I thank you for this great church, Milestone Church. I thank you for the passion, Lord, that's here. Father God, help us all to take our our passion quotient to another level. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name as we worship you, help us to worship with passion. I speak a blessing over the littles. I thank you for Jeff and Brandy, their kids. Father God, I speak a blessing over this church. Thank you for the difference this church is making in this community and around the world. And I thank you for it all in the mighty name, the matchless name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. And amen. Awesome. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com.